Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So, Guy, Nick Mason, Sourceful of Secrets, of which we are um, two-fifths, right? Uh, we're going back out on the road in the summer across the UK. We are. We're, it's all of June, so brace yourself. What's it called? It's called the Set the Control Store. What a brilliant name. Who do you uh, think could have come up with such a great name for a tour, Gary? I wonder. I think yeah. I'm looking at him, right? But then right. I did come up with uh, Nick Mason's source of secrets. You did, and in fact, that came up in a podcast then because you were inspired by Woody Woodman's Is You Boat, weren't you? I was, yes. Anyway, anyway, but enough of that. So join Nick, Guy, Lee Harris, uh, Don Beacon, and me as we celebrate the early years with. You know, that incredible, it's an incredible body of work, isn't it? The early Pink Floyd. It goes up to just before Dark Side of the Moon. goes up to 1972. Metal. All the film soundtracks, all the Sid stuff, stuff you've never mm. heard. Stuff that no one's ever Echoes, heard, frankly. Obviously. Echoes is the big sort of, you and, know, uh, uh, what is that? What would you call it? Magnum Opus. Yeah, I love a Magnum, don't you? Yeah, I never met Magnum. Was he, was he, um, anyway, tickets are on sale now and you can buy yours at uh, myticket.co.uk. And Kilimanjaro Live presents Nick Mason's Sourceful of Secrets, the Set the Control Tour. Hey, Guy. Hi, Gary. Um, right, so good one this week. It's Patrick Leonard, who's my dear old pal, in fact, who is actually out of the three longest working relationships I have. He's number two. Wow. Wow. I must, yeah. be, I must be number one, surely. <laughs> Uh, our, our relationship stopped working a long time ago, darling. <laughs> um, but let, to explain to people who this man is, because he's, he's our second producer. He's a guy behind the scenes. He's a major writer. He was really the guy who, who, who created the Madonna, the mature Donna. The mature, yeah. He did the kind of grown-up Madonna. He, 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 although he, he started with True Blue, but then, yeah, Like a Prayer was the album where Madonna grew up. But he'd done so much before that. I mean, he's a really renowned keyboard player. I mean, a you know, with the Jacks, he talked with the Jacksons, talked with Madonna, Frank Zappa. That I want to talk to him about. I've never really talked but to him about. But he's he's produced Roger Waters and Elton John, Leonard Cohen in in his later years, Ferry Stewart. I mean, the the list is endless, right? Of who he's worked with. Let's get him on. Welcome to the Rock on Tours. Okay, guys, I'm ready. This was great, guys. I, I, it's so great to talk to two guys that have done this. Well, it's a big tune for sure. I actually wrote that originally for Tina Turner. Of course, I had gone and found Joni Mitchell down in Florida and brought her back. You know, what people forget about Bowie is that he was such a kind man. I've listened to a few of them and they've been really good, man. I'm sitting in the back of the car coming into London. They're brilliant. I know you're musicians, but you've been more professional than a lot of journalists. Remember me? I'm in a band now. <laughs> it's called Roxy Music. You know this thing about the 10,000 hours of experience? Oh, yeah, to get good at something. When we recorded Arnold Lane, we'd done about 50 hours. The Rock Hunters podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt. Hello. Hi, Gary. Hey, Pat. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Guy is fuffing around in the background. He's, he's putting something against him. his window because he's got too much brightness coming in. Yeah. No, I've been, I've, been, I've been darkening this one down all morning. I can't see you yet. Your video isn't on. Isn't? It's not. There's a on, down on the left-hand side. Ah, there it is. Do you see me now? Wonderful. Oh, my there God. I, you look 
Hello. You're in NASA control room. Well, it, it's, it is actually my workspace, and it's the only place there's a computer that works. That so here we are. There's beautiful stuff in the background. Hey, yeah. Pat. Hi, Pratt. Uh, all right, let the record show, by the way, you are the only person on Earth allowed to call me that. I don't want <laughs> really? anyone who knows me listening to get any ideas. A couple of people can wow. get away with Pratty, but only uh, you have that, Pat. Okay, well, that's good. <laughs> Uh, privileged already. <laughs> is, wow. is, that a, is that a VC whatever it is at the back flashing there? That sort of 70s synth, is it? What is that? No, no, it's all it's all modular. It's just all some older modules, some newer modules, but it's just all modular stuff. It's kind of became a kind of bad addiction. I can contest. I can uh, uh, contest yeah. to that. Yeah. You, last time I came over, Pat, it was, it was like you, you were very much down the rabbit hole. Of modular yeah, synthesis. No, yeah. But I, I'm actually I got better at it, so it's more fun now. Do you prefer stuff you out know? of the box then, Pat, rather than in rather than in the computer? You prefer Yeah, I don't I don't I stopped doing that, Gary. I, I uh, some time ago, about twenty sixteen or something, I had my big screen and all my VSTs and all my stuff and everything was in logic and whatever I was doing, and it just one it one day I went to sound like music to me. So I got rid of all of it and started just building up regular sense. I don't have a VST in my, and I don't use. Wow. Yeah, what, I just use a VST the, for our uh, civilian a plug, like a, a, a plug-in, plug a keyboard plug-in, you know, so. They're basically yeah. apps for the things yeah. that yes. we used to have valves in in the old days. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So the, so the Minimoog that's here, you can get a Minimoog plug-in. But the Minimoog sounds different. I'll just say different, so no one goes, "What do you mean?" I think a lot Better. of it, yeah, because I, I think a lot of the stuff that used to appeal to you about it was the because everything that you get from digital and from plugins and everything is also surprise, sub, all, ordered and, and what have you, and already done. The fact that when you when you make a modular sound, it's only th there in that second. You can never That's kind right. of recreate it. No, there's no there's no such thing as a preset of any yeah. kind. And do you think music today? I mean, let's let we're old guys, right? So we're going to get be a bit bitchy about the new guys. But do you think music today generally has a similar sound to it because we're all using the same plugins, as it were? Yeah, uh, you, you know, you're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> you don't want me to answer that. <laughs> you don't. You don't want me to answer that. Uh, no, you don't want me to answer that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, obviously, um, when a drum sample gets popular as a sound, and 80% of the songs on the radio are using the same drum sample, we're in a funny place. Yeah. Because um, we used to be able to tell drummers by how they played, and that you know, just drummers, just that thing of that. Um, and, and, you know, things do change and they do move on, uh, you know, but like you, I'm old. But you would use... But to be for, even back in the 80s, we feel, I remember Bill, the great Bill Bottrell, who we both worked with a lot, yes. saying, do you want to reckon you how you could date a record by the reverb on the snare drum? Oh, no, no, absolutely. <laughs> the, the, it's the, it was the SR2000, is that what it was? SRV2000, the Roland? You could tell what month the thing was mixed. <laughs> <laughs> you really could. You really, really could, man. I still can sort of go, Oh, yeah, that's 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 that thing that happened right around then. And then you, you think know? where the SSL came out, the drum sound was determined. You know, someone like the big desk, the SSL, which had its own compression and yeah. and gates yeah. on it. Along comes Hugh Padgham yeah. and Phil Collins, and they create that sound because of that piece of technology. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, right. the, yeah, the gated reverb, which sounds preposterous yeah. now. Yes, it does. I, th I say <laughs> Peter Gabriel first did that, didn't he? Peter Gabriel yeah, they did. did. He did. It was when yeah. they accidentally. Uh, it was when he heard Phil Collins warming up through the talkback mic at Townhouse Two. 
and it was compressed and gated so badly they said let's do that uh, we're going to lose so much of our audience yeah, if we yeah, carry on yeah, like yeah. this but, but when you did when you when you did those early madonna albums you know were you using drum machines on those or, 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 or real drummers what, what? well it, that's a that's an interesting question what we had then um was we had a, there was a sequencer there was the the roland made it or sorry yamaha had a thing called the qx1 and roland had a ms 700 i don't remember the, the names so sexy but these names did, you know so sexy aren't they yeah, do you remember do you remember the um the little thing that, that you could plug into your Roland digital delay and it would give you a one-shot sample. Oh. Yeah, this was this was 1984. Wow, like, an, like a sort of AMS thing, yeah. Yeah, and and you just loaded the sample into it by playing it in and that was it, and you could tune it, right? And it, no dynamics, no nothing. Well, we used those for the kick and the snare uh, on True Blue. On the True Blue album, it was real hi-hat and the rest was that thing. And the way we would do, the way we would get it to sync is by making a mark on the tape head and then delaying it in till it was on the mark, <laughs> you know? So you'd use a delay, you'd use the, the sync head. So it was a head of the record head and then you would use a delay till it was in time. Wow. So it was, e so it was easy. No. <laughs> but actually, we're getting ahead now. If we're going to start talking right. about old albums, let's go back. I want to go back. Because I was, I was thinking, I was going to say to Gary, what's so funny, Pat, seeing as we know each other so well, is actually yes. how little about the other stuff we ever talked about. Anything that wasn't, we're like characters in a pinter play. It's like you don't exist till you walk through the door. <laughs> There's nothing before that. Because, you know, you're, a, you're, you know, one of my favourite things in the world is to listen to you play the piano. Um, you're an amazing. Thank so, you. were you like a child prodigy? Were you? Or... Oh, what a funny word! I know. Sorry. Um, all right. Just all right. Just yeah. Good. Were you good? Well, yeah. I don't know. I, I played. I played very, very, very young. Yeah. Um, you I, I was. I was at the piano, in diapers, literally, because my sister was a player and dad was a player, and there were family gatherings at the house. So, by the time I was five, they were trying to give me lessons, and I couldn't read. I didn't really know the alphabet or I was like four. So that was, you know, didn't happen yet. Um, but in, in first grade, um, I played as the accompanist for the school V show right through the high school age in first grade. So I was that retarded, show? you know, the variety oh, show okay. in a school. And how old's first grade? What is that? It's like with five. What? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what? so really, really the thing where people would just look and go, what the hell is that? And, uh, and so very, very young, started very young and, and then started taking lessons of all kinds. Um, and my dad was a jazz musician and, and did clubs, jazz musician. He did nightclubs, you know, he did nightclub music. And uh, Where is it? this is in Michigan. This or is in this is now in Chicago. So when I was six, we moved to Chicago. Um, so at about nine, uh, I started doing the first set for his Friday night gigs in a trio playing <laughs> a little Farfisa because oh his keyboard player didn't get out of work. He worked at Penny's in the shoe department or something and he didn't get out of work. So, you know, I, I started playing that first set. And then because I had my little Farfisa and could play the beginning of Light My Fire and the beginning of Inagata De Vida, by the time I was 11, I was in about five bands because I could play those intros. Oh. You know? oh, so it was just that that kind of crazy stuff you so know you're playing prog at nine <laughs> <laughs> well you know well, prog you start smoking pot and, you know. i guess this is this sort of early sort of west coast kind of uh, stuff that you were into the doors and bands like that was that what was 
in your musical you know, world? The, 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 dif- the differentiation between where something was from or what it was uh, was unimportant, you know? Like of course, I, at that age, you wouldn't, yeah. It's- no, I mean, I was just, my dad had, was having me listen to all of the jazz greats. My sister was a classical musician, but she was nine years older than me, so she was a teenager when the Beatles came out. So I was getting hammered with all the pop stuff and she took me to see Hendrix and she took, I mean, I was at the Grant Park Sly Stone thing. You know, that what? crazy thing. I was oh, there no. with my sister. Sorry, what was that? I was, what? I was nine or 10 years old. I was just a kid, what was, what, 68, what was so that? I was 12. But, no, what was that? Elaborate on that show, because I, 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 that's well, not come up on my it's radar. Hard, it's hard for me to remember, but it had to do with the, um, the SDS and the Students for Democratic Society and all this stuff in Chicago. And they did a concert at Grant Park and it turned a little violent and the police came in and tear gassed and I mean I, I don't really remember much of it about it. The, what the move is about is yeah that, right. that's it that's it I was there with my sister <laughs> wow. I was a little boy um yeah we got out of there but I was there and did your dad have ambitions for you to follow him as is, is was he a professional musician your dad he, you know, he he was a really really good player and a really good singer, but he he never really was professional because he raised the family. You know, um, it's the we always come home well, yeah. guy. He played sax and played sax and loved it and loved it, but he was a family man with three kids, so he played on weekends. You know, like that. But he had ambitions for you to to get into music. Or- I remember I remember at one point he it was fairly clear what I was going to do because I my school was a nightmare and it was just about playing. And uh, and he said, you've chosen something really, really hard. And he said, if you can figure it out, find something to fall back on. Because he said, you really picked a rough one, you know, to just do this thing. Um, but I think it was fairly obvious fairly early that, uh, you know, I was going to at least be able to make a living doing it. <laughs> you know, yeah, so was, was, was that it? it was just it was just set right with you. There was no yeah. there was just no yeah. question. No, I, I mean, I, I, I was thrown out of high school at the beginning of my junior year, so I was 16. And a week later, a kid called me and said, my mom works with this band. They're a show band, the keyboard player just quit. Can And she, the mother drove me to a, a little town in Southern Michigan. And I started <laughs> playing in the show band, you know, a week out of school and uh, did that for a couple of years. You what, know, just- what, what was, and what was, what would the set list be like for them? What- well, it was a, there was this guy was a his name was Galen and I think he's still around. Uh, he was a pianist, kind of a Liberace kind of act, and he was a very fine pianist. And I was behind him with a mini Moog and a Fender Rhodes, and then I got a Mellotron, and I was just building this stuff up, and just doing orchestrations. But there were really just chord charts, so it was a great lesson for like, oh, I need to make up parts for this stuff. So wow. we would do two shows a night, which were, you know, what he would do. And then we do dance sets and the dance sets would be dated by, you know, probably did Ain't No Sunshine eight, eight times a night, you know? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It was that. Funny enough, it I've never that. heard you play that. I wonder why that could be. <laughs> but, but, but Pat, regu- and, re- and you never will. <laughs> regular listeners to our show know our love of prog. And if that's how you started yeah. as well. And funnily enough, you know, this is American kid living in what, Chicago. And yep. you're into Gentle Giant and Jethro Tull yeah. and, and, yes. and the, and, and the Brit prog stuff. What, 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 
This is what I love, by the way. This is something yeah. I want to start off with, was the fact that I'm sitting here with two absolute titans of 80s mainstream pop music. You both, <laughs> you both wrote songs that absolutely yeah. shaped and defined what that era sounded like and was. And you're the biggest pair of prog heads I've ever met. Yeah. So, along you with know, Trevor Horn. No. <laughs> you know, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, I, I still... If I'm in it clean, I'll still put on Thick as a Brick, you know, because it just makes me happy or Passion Play or, you know, and, and the Gentle Giant stuff, I still occasionally show people and then explain how many teenagers went running from my house because it's like, you're, I can't do that. I just can't do this. So you've got to hear this, you know, and put on in a glass house or something, you know, and say, just check this out. Yeah. And I'm fascinated and think that music does not get any better than this and they're horrified in the biggest way imaginable so i scared a lot of teenagers and it's really going to um, win the hearts of girls isn't it when you bring them back oh, oh, oh god i was a very lonely teenager until i realized that all you had to do was mention the rolling stones and at least you had a chance you know yeah and it, there's but that, no 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 there is that actual connection oh. with derek shulman who we have to get on the show the, the lead singer of gentle child yeah. And, and Ian Anderson, because we had Ian on the show, and he was saying, you know, De yeah, Derek, I saw that. I, I listened to some of it. Derek yeah. signed signed him, didn't sign them when later on in his career. Is that is that how am I remembering that? That's right. right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Derek Shulman was the A and R guy who signed Jethro. Wasn't it? Was it Jethro? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Or advised yeah. Ian. Now he gave Ian some advice. To, it was to do with passion yeah. play. You know what? By farms. This is awful. I need to look, listen to my own show. <laughs> salmon. Salmon, Ian. Salmon. <laughs> so what, what about writing, Pat? When did you... Were yeah. you writing stuff by then? Yeah, I, I, I didn't... I resisted sight reading and I resisted other people's music. Um, and I don't know why I did, but I did. So I started putting little dots on, on a page when I was very, very little... Um, that's really what I wanted to do is write music. Um, That's exactly how I started, Pat, in that I, I had no interest in writing other people's songs. I learned four chords for another song, and I thought, yeah. well, I like these chords, but I hate the tune that they've given me, you know? I'll make yeah, my own yeah. up. And it, it, yeah. yeah, so, and I think that, that was, were you performing those songs, sticking them in your band? Some, sometimes in some of the bands I was in, we, we would do some of that stuff, and, um, you know, when I was, I don't know how old I was, um, there was a band I was in called, I think it was called Heaven, I think. And um, it was, everyone was always older than me until a point. And now, of course, I'm older than everybody. Yeah, we all but have that. Long, it's so funny. Yeah, you have that yeah, thing when I you're was like, a young kid. kid and and no. It's to do, it's to do <laughs> with policemen, isn't it? As yeah. soon as you're older than most of the police. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, this guy's, we had this band and we played in this house and we played some gigs and teen clubs and what all. And then the Mellotron was coming out and this guy convinced his mother to take a second on the car so we could buy a Mellotron, which I think was like five grand. Wow. So we drove yeah, to, we drove like to Rockford. <laughs> yeah. We drove to Rockford, Illinois. And that, and that if we had this Mellotron, oops, if we had this Mellotron, we were going to be huge. So we drove <laughs> to Rockford and went to Nielsen music and bought the Mellotron from Rick Nielsen, who was in a oh, band wow. called Cracker. <laughs> what was his band? Yeah. What was his band? The band was called Cracker, I think. Yeah, right. wow. the, before Cheap Trick, his dad wow. owned the music store and he worked there. So we bought a Mellotron in, I don't know, must have been around 1971 or 72. 
Is this why he um, had so many guitars to begin with, you think? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> you know, yeah. And the Mellotron is that, the Mellotron know. is like a sampling machine. It's taped sounds, you know, it's famously tapes, from yeah. Strawberry Fields. Yeah. Um, Strawberry Fields, yeah. Strawberry yeah. Fields, yeah, 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 yeah. Stairway yeah. to Heaven, yeah. Um, yeah. White Shade of Pale, I think. So. Moody Blues, Mike Pinder. Originally, yeah. it was the Pindatron. Really? Yes, it was. He, it was his thing. Wow. I mean, somebody will say, no, there was someone else who did it first. That's what and, I know. And, and we had Colin Blundstone on last week, and the zombies, obviously, you know. Yeah. Were, Mellotrons were great. They were fun. It was cool. You, you felt like God, even though, you know, of course, the irony was I had this $5,000 keyboard and a $29 amp, <laughs> you know, because we didn't have any money. <laughs> so, so it didn't sound great, but it was a Mellotron. And it didn't work. We didn't become a huge band. Um, was there a moment, Pat, where you thought, this isn't going to work for me? Or was it a continual rise to stardom and success? No, I, I mean, I was, um, I was, I had a band called Trillion and we were, we were a prog, prog, you, prog you, band. You don't and, say Trillion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, you think? <laughs> you think so, that a prog band? <laughs> well, we, we, we were a really serious prog band and none of that stuff ever got recorded um, because we signed to Sony and they wanted something poppier. So we had these other songs and we scaled everything back. And, you know, one of these days I still want the fans of Trillion to hear the, the stuff we did before we did that. Cause we were doing, I was writing 40 minute pieces, you know, we were in clubs and people were going like, what the fuck is going on? You know? <laughs> that's great. So you got a deal. So that's, you know, that wouldn't have been yeah. Sony back. That would have been CBS, right? It was CBS. That's yeah. right. It was CBS. It was Lenny Pizzi and, uh, and, uh, Sandoval or, or and whatever. How did you get, is that, that means someone's gone to New York or LA, right? That means that we did showcases and they came to Chicago and we signed with them. And then we went with Gary Lyons um, to Caribou Ranch and did the first record. All right. Wow. Yeah. And then we, and then we changed singers and did a second record. And then I left the band and then starved and then did jingles in Chicago. And then, got blown across Michigan Avenue in a snowstorm and called my friend Hawk in, in LA who said, I'm on the phone with Randy Jackson about some tour thing. I'll call you back. He calls me back and he says, I can't do it. Do you want to do a tour with the Jacksons? <laughs> so that's ah. how I got out of Chicago. I just ramped this forward. <laughs> so now yeah, we're, well now we're in LA. So the, you know so the, the, the Jacksons. Oh, no, but, but you ended up living in Hawk's house, didn't you? Well, I was well, next door to him. We were oh, right we were next, next door. Because the yeah. first time I met you was at your studio, in your, which apparently was where Ain't Nobody was. Um, yeah, Hawk recorded. is right around the yeah, corner. Because he yeah, Hawk Hawk produced Hawk was... Ain't Nobody by Chaka Khan. Yeah, and, and wrote it. <laughs> and wrote it. Yeah. And, and so you played with the Jacksons initially. Is that what you... Yeah, my, my first thing was I auditioned um, kind of cold, actually, for the Victory Tour. And and I went in and I, I didn't know any songs. I just flew out and and went into a rehearsal hall in North Hollywood. And uh, there was a DX7 on stage and a set of drums. And it was Jonathan Moffat. And I think um, uh. Jackie and Tito and Marlon were there first. And they said, do you know any songs? I said, no, I don't. They said, what do you want to do? I said, well, just jam. So Jonathan and I just jammed, right? And then I'm hanging around watching other people load their rigs in and hearing them do perfect renditions of Thriller. And I thought, I'm going home. So I went back to Chicago. So what year, said, what year, I said, sorry, Pat, what year is this? Just the 84. This is the, vic yeah, yeah, the right, victory right. tour 84. So maybe the end of 83, I don't really know, but right around then. So I went back to Chicago. Everybody said, how'd it go? I said, you know, this is never going to happen. A couple of weeks, I get a call, come back. So I come back and it's the same exact setup. 
except now David Williams is there with ah, Jonathan. That, I was, yeah, that was okay. So David's there in this little room, and he's they again. They said, "You know any songs?" I said, "I didn't go home and learn them. I didn't figure I had the gig." You know? <laughs> so, so we just jammed again, and then I heard more people come in with their roadie setting up gear, just nailing the stuff, every sound, every part. And I thought, no, this is a joke. And about a week later, they said, "Can you start right away?" They called and came out. So I ended up, you know musical directing this thing basically and programming all the synths and and all that stuff and the band was amazing and at this one was the point big I, tour, right that's that's the yeah, one from this, the, the live album is from isn't yeah, it? yeah. The, the vic the victory yeah. i don't think they made a live album from it but the oh okay was that uh, unless before? i haven't heard but <laughs> it was michael was michael in it yeah it was it was thriller basically yeah right, right that's what right. it was it was the victory tour so it was the one with don king involved and all this controversy oh, yeah, and yeah. the stories about that we could fill hours with it but as the thing went on um i asked nelson um who was the road manager how i got this gig because it did not make any sense to me it never really did at that point and he said michael asked david and David said that white kid from Chicago is the only one that can keep time. <laughs> <laughs> Which, okay, we need to point out who David and Williams. That was it. We need to, yeah. we need to point out who David Williams is. I mean, everyone, you know, like he's the greatest sort of mm -hmm. R and B rhythm guitarist ever. He's all, yeah. you know, Billy Jean, right? That's David Williams. Yep. That's David um, Williams. I, I adored that guy. He's he once said to me, yeah. "You and me, we're the top of them because in this town, making a living out of three notes." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I'm sure he he had, played three. <laughs> what is, what is, what does Niall think? Uh, well, actually, what I should have said the other greatest. You know. Yeah. Well, no, but, yeah. no. Niall's the core guy. David's the single note guy. Yeah, Dave, David you know. can't play. Couldn't play chords. Yeah. He had like sausages on his hand, um, and he and he was just the most remarkable timekeeper yeah. I've ever heard. Yeah. And that was and a, a gift right. because in fact, uh, well, don't get ahead because of course he was. Uh, it was through you that Brian Ferry met him, and he was an absolute yeah. staple of Brian's stuff. In fact, yeah. I, I did a tour with him. With he ended up in Roxy Music, and for all yeah. the Roxy Mark II stuff, it was just amazing. For all the Avalon Manifesto stuff, he was absolutely perfect. But it used to be an absolute joy standing next to him on stage, with him trying to figure out what the hell was going on on anything from the first three albums. <laughs> something like remake, remodel. It was just like what the what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is he yeah. is he is he still around? No, sadly not. No, he passed away. No. But he was he was amazing and. Like for the Jackson, with the Jackson stuff, sound checks or rehearsals or anything, when Michael would come, the first thing he'd say is, make me dance, David. And that was how we started everything. It was always that same thing. Really? But David would just start, and it was like... What was it like, what was it like yeah. watching, watching Michael every night on stage doing his thing? I mean, Well, you know, occasionally, you know, I'll be in a grocery store, and Billy Jean will come on and I'll say to my wife, I'll say, I'm probably the only guy in the grocery store that played this bass line and this part and watched him dance for a year and a half. Yeah. Wow. You know, it was absolutely staggering to be able to to do that thing and kind of check in with myself. Like I'm actually doing this right now. You but know? Did it, it was my first my first gig, really, you know what I mean? I like, mean to wow. be to you're creating the musical magic that is feeding the rhythm in this guy's body and getting him to do that yeah. thing, you know. I mean Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. No fun. I mean, lucky, you know, lucky. Yeah. Um, and so, so from, so after that tour, now this is where, this is where I'm, I'm not saying that isn't interesting. That's unbelievable. We digress. <laughs> 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 so 
I, I'm very interested in the sequence of events here because we've never I've never talked about this with you, Pat. Mm -hmm. Which is that? So, right. did you were you hired to do? Uh, did you tour with Madonna first? Yes. What, what happened is after after the Jackson tour, um, I'd set up a house in L.A. and really wanted to get into making records and not really touring. And of course, there were people there that knew that I had done three years of jingles. So I was getting calls to do that, which I never did because um, I didn't want to do that. Freddie DeMann, who was Michael's manager before the tour, once the tour started, he had changed over to somebody else, but he was Madonna's manager. And he'd call my managers um, who I had through Hawk. They were Hawk's managers. I mean, it was, everything was just kind of what was around. And um, Freddie had, Madonna wanted whoever did the victory tour to do her first tour, which was the Virgin tour. And my immediate response was, the girl in her underwear? No, 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 no. <laughs> and, and, uh, and they said, would you, would you talk to her? So I did. And she said, never done this. No pushback. Your show. You pick the players. You know, you're in charge. Wow. So I kind of couldn't resist that. And so that's... Because it's not no, like Madonna's used, you know, known as being a controlling or... <laughs> <laughs> she was she was good for a word, man. She was good for a word, and and so that was the first tour, and then I did the next tour as well, um, which was called "Who's That Girl," um, but it was really uh, "True Blue." But you know, but it, before we get to "True Blue," though, Pat, so you're you know those songs that you were playing with Madonna, you know, this is, these are from albums that are produced by Nile Rodgers and uh, Jelly Bean, and right. uh, you know, right. they, uh, there was a. These were other people's songs. So yeah. did you, were you still writing at this point thinking, I know what this girl needs? No, I was, I was waiting to go home. You know, I mean, I, I, this was a gig. This was just a gig. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about it as, as anything. I really wasn't. Um, and then, and then what, where that, what happened is um, I was working, I was trying to get a movie score. I wanted to score movies and my managers represented a guy who was doing his first film and I went in and I started writing a template for his movie to try to get the score. And the music was Live to Tell. That was what it was. That's what I wrote for it. And I asked Madonna if she would write the lyrics for the song because it would really give me a boost in terms of getting the film. And she agreed to do it. And this is really the truth. She's on her way to the house. And my manager called and said they hired somebody else. So she gets to the house and I say, sorry, you drove all the way. It's not going to happen. And she said, well, let me hear it anyway because... Sean just did a movie. So she sat down and wrote the lyrics and did the demo for Live to Tell and left with it. And then this is all, this all sounds so ridiculous. I went off to Michael Jackson's house because <laughs> Quincy wanted me to help him put his songs together. So I'm now at Michael's with Quincy trying to put Michael's ideas together. And the person comes in and says, Sean Penn's on the phone. So I take the phone call. And he said, can you come here right now? I said, well, not right now. I'm coming with Quincy. I'm, I'm a little busy. <laughs> yeah. Quincy, can I leave? I have an actor who wants me to come to his house. Um, so I finished and I went to the director's house of uh, at close range was the movie um, in Hollywood and got there. And they said, we love the song and we want to use it in the movie. And Madonna says, who's going to sing it? It's too low for me. And everybody went, you're going to sing it. It's beautiful. And and uh, 
she sort of went okay and and ironically of course the lead vocal is the demo she never sang it again wow um it was the first all the records were like that yeah. everything yeah was like that. I, I she can, only I ever did a demo that yeah even like a prayer all of them those yeah. were first takes only take vocals wow <laughs> swear to God. so did you did you have uh the melody did you sing her the melody while you're playing the piano no, no, no. We'll, we'll we'll get there how she is in as a writer and then the, and the director says, Madonna says, you can score my movie, too. And I said, I can. So lost a movie, wrote the song, got a movie. <laughs> First single from True Blue. So then there was a live recording from Japan, and we were mixing it with a guy named Michael Verdick, who I met, he was the only engineer I knew who did True Blue. Um, he was the only engineer I knew, and I knew him because Hawk was doing a session for Ted Nugent and Verdict was producing the record and Hawk got bit by a bee and called and said, can you go do this session for me? So I did. And I met Michael. And then when we needed to mix this live recording of the Japan stuff, I called Michael. So now we're in with Madonna in this little tiny room in Burbank. And Madonna looks to me, this is after we'd written Lift to Tell and says, is this where we're going to make the record? And that's how she asked me to make this record. And then we just, the songs were written like so quickly. Um, and that's, kind of how that the beginning of that hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is what I find stunning, Pat. Is is just that thing, for, okay? Because yeah, because we want because Live to Tell that was your first thing, which is an extraordinary song. I must say, an absolute that riff is is one of my favorite. I can listen to yeah. that on a loop forever. Lucky, lucky, I'll send you one. I'll make a loop for would you. Would you? Would you? Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but here's the thing, Madonna. You know, she's this huge artist. Like I said, her last album was with Nile Rodgers, who was the king of the world at that point. That's right. And then uh, you know, you, this guy in her band, has written a song. No, no, you write and produce the whole next album. It's like what? Yeah. You the know, record company was horrified, and of course, she wouldn't yeah. let them come down. And it was Warner Brothers, so it was it was basically Michael Austin and Lenny Warnaker were the were the point men on it, and she wouldn't let them hear anything until it was damn near done. And I remember sitting in Michael's little studio, and these two guys were sitting next to each other, and pretty soon they're slapping each other on the back, laughing. About four songs in, it's like this could work, you know, because um, yeah. all the songs were good on that record. It was a good record, but it's a great record. What are yeah. uh, what's uh, I mean, it's interesting now listening to it now because there's things like Open Your Heart and stuff where it's all. I mean, it's it's kind of. It's so similar. It, it, there was such a coalition of stuff. It's, it's like it's almost like a scritty politty record. It was like, you know, the, everything was coming together. So I was wondering, what was your toolkit for that? Because, you know, you as because you're not you, yeah. you weren't a pop writer, were you? That wasn't your dream. So what huh, was, what, good, a good question. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I mean, the, the, another story is that Live to Tell, I mean, not Live to Tell, La Isla Bonita was a call from Quincy to request a song for Michael that was some, like a Sade kind of thing. So I just wrote La Isla Bonita and sent it to him and said, we don't like it. Uh. And then Madonna came over and I said, I just sent this. They don't like it. So we finished it for her, you know. <laughs> I mean, this, that was just... Uh, and it seems to suit her uh, personality because it has that Latin feel. And at the time, you know, that just seems to work for Madonna. And when it, yeah, it, it, it really did, you know. But this um, was her growing then, up album as well, wasn't it? This was her... Not right. No, true blue isn't true. Well, uh, not, well I guess it was. I think musically, musically, here was yeah, an album. You know, yeah. she was getting away from sort of just doing you know dance music and getting into doing things yeah. that were, you know, m m more mature, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so then, I guess after you've done, I mean, once true blue happens, and I guess the phone's just ringing off the hook, right, for you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember, but it probably was. Yeah. Was is Brian Ferry next, or what was? Brian between. Ferry was right after True Blue. Yeah, we did a tour. We did the the who's I did who's that girl, which was, yeah, I think who's that girl was before Brian, pretty sure. And then I don't know that it was actually. It, if it might have been after, so yeah, it might have been after. I, I mean, I think Brian was right after True Blue. Yeah, he'll have to go Next back week. through his bank statements to find out the facts. But <laughs> <laughs> do, do, I, 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 I know we're going to get onto that, but I just I'm going to pick you up on something you just mentioned a, a, a few minutes ago, which is how the process of writing with Madonna worked. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. is that something you can reveal? Yeah. Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, I have uh, because we've moved recently. I have boxes of music, um, and it's interesting to look at the boxes of music because it's every record I ever did is in a box somewhere. Um, and so when you find those things, um, like A Prayer More Than True Blue, you find the morning when I went in and some sort of title that represents the song, often not the song title, because I was just saying Latin thing for Madonna, you know? And I'd write the chords, I'd write whatever melodic stuff there was. I would use, I had an MPC 60 for Like A Prayer and I'd put the verses and the chorus in and she'd show up and I'd say, here, here's what I got today. And she'd listen to it and she'd make a suggestion or two and we would move it around. And then I would let it roll and she'd sit on the floor and write the lyrics. And while she was writing the lyrics, we'd print it and she'd do the vocal next day, next song, never more but than what, one. What day. about the top line though? Was that coming from her? She, she, sometimes it did. Sometimes it was always suggested in the, in the thing. Sometimes she'd ask me sometimes, but it was yeah. just, now wow <laughs> it was like i'm here at 11 and i'm leaving at three <laughs> you know because i don't want to be in traffic and and, ge and genius was spilling out wasn't it i mean you know incredible it, it, when you listen to it it's it, i can't to this day believe that those are the vocals are what they are but i know they are because i have the demos so she went in and she would she would warm up a little bit and just do the vocal and maybe do it again maybe not so the lead vocal wow. on Cherish and Like a Prayer, those are all. Wow. And, and the other part of it, Gary, and this is this is where I, I this occurred to me recently. We'd work this out and there would be little hints of what it was, but she didn't sing it before this. This was the first time she sang it. Can I just point out to listeners that <laughs> if you're amazing, recording right? a vocal now, virtually every yeah. singer you hear on the radio has his voice put into a box uh, into the computer is auto-tuned is stretched is cut up that you've right. done about six different options which which are, you're editing between more, more. more. Yeah. editing yeah. syllables here and and, and plosives yeah. Yeah. this is a woman who goes this is this is pure talent isn't it wow 
Well, yeah, I can say, really is, I, the, you know? the one I always remember, Pat, is when we recorded Oh Father, which was yeah. just done a one. But I, I, yeah. think we, I think we did one run through, and I don't think we were recording. And Madonna just, she stood in the control room and she sang it, and she'd never sung it before. And she right. sang it. And at the end of it, she then gave the whole band notes, which were all absolutely correct. You know, like really, mus not, not like make it more purple. There was like really understandable. It was like, guy, just hold duck eggs. I like that one fill at the end. And then Sugarfoot, lay off that. Da -da. And she'd sung the song for the first time, nailed it, and yeah. clocked everything everyone was doing. It's six people playing and her singing all completely live. And this is at one point yeah. she said, why are we doing this? I said, you'll see it. <laughs> you know, it's going to be, why don't we just do this in pieces? But, you know. Oh, father, um, we always said the tape, the button was pushed That's three times. Yeah. With someone like Madonna, I mean, she's, she's, you know, she's famously emotional and, and it, go, it can go from dark to light to, to dark again pretty quickly. You, you yeah. as a producer, have to deal with that with, with her as well. And what, what is your key to working with any artist, capturing their moods and deflecting you know i mean i've always felt that i was pretty moody myself and so i think maybe i understand it you know i mean i can i can have to leave the room and gather myself and come back you know because it's yeah, all I've seen, I've seen this yeah it's all personal <laughs> it's all personal to me you know like the the thing that sometimes is difficult is if i'm writing the music and i'm playing the parts and i'm helping to arrange the music I have a huge personal investment in it that's an artistic investment. Um, it's different producing someone else's song. I can sort of do that a lot easier without getting involved in it. But if someone suddenly says, I want to take this bar out, it's like, mm, sometimes it doesn't go over so well with me, you know? So I, I get that entirely. I, I, I find it, I, I can't imagine taking music anything other than personally. Yeah, that's you right. Know, that's, you know, I, re yeah. I really can't. So this brings us to after, so then um, did you, the Brian Ferry, because this, I mean, this could not be more chalk and cheese. <laughs> Getting a vocal, we, yeah, we just did a vocal, and that was it. We had the song, it was done. Boy, <laughs> were you going somewhere Next else? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we we do love Brian, of course. We love Brian. Of course, we have totally, yeah, totally, love him. Totally different. And I love that. I love that record. I love that record. It's yeah, Bet Noir. But so so, and you turned up with five songs, with five finished songs, didn't you? For four, five finished tracks. I don't remember. Yeah. Apparently, yeah, which is... Yeah. But because um, did, did... Were you were you called for that or did you had you expressed an interest? Because you were a fan of early Roxy, weren't you? Yeah, I was. And I, I was... And I, I think I was called, you know, for it. And I was pleased about it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I was a Roxy fan, you know. But I suppose once yeah, you... Much, yes, but... I suppose <laughs> once you have some hits in a particular style, then when the phone rings, people are saying, can you just carry on doing that style for me? We want that. Yeah, and you're yeah, suddenly kinda. you're suddenly in a kind of uh, yeah, you know, a, yeah, an area of music that maybe isn't what, where you want to be. You know. Well, I also think you know, and I, I haven't thought of this until you just said that. But when you think of um, True Blue, the hits that I did were Live to Tell and La Isla Bonita and Open Your Heart, and they, you know, like those three songs could be definitely three different people. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so there wasn't necessarily something that was pegged, except that it was musical. I think there was a musicality about it, and a certain degree of pop sensibility just from growing up with the Beatles. You know, yeah. <laughs> How do you not have that just from listening and, and, to the Beatles record a million times? Was Guy Pratt the guy you had to call for bass, 
Was that how did you ever no, did you or did you just bump I'll tell, into I'll tell him? Exactly how so, how I first met Pat was was because we'd been working for it because we, Rhett Davis had started off producing the album and Chester Kamen and myself had been brought in as sort of Brian's little sorcerer's apprentices and we were having great fun smacking around in the studio. Rhett suddenly decides he doesn't want to be in the music business anymore and announces he's retiring to go and play golf. So <laughs> me, so so Chester and I, it's just it's just me and Chester like you know, just messing about with Brian's stuff and we're having the time of our lives. But then I think the record company are like. Yeah, this is great and everything, but we kind of need to be making an album here, um, which is where you come in. And I was flown out to L.A., and I had to sort of pretend I happened to just be in town and come down <laughs> to your house. I'm like, oh, God, what's you been here? And so I come and play on some. In fact, I remember Mark Fennick, Rod, uh, Brian's manager at the time, actually said, have you got someone someone whose house, whose sofa you can sleep on? I was like, no, you'll fly me to LA. You put me in the Mondrian. And, um, and, um, but then, but what was lovely, you came over and you, and you clearly took to myself and Chester. Yes, know, yes, so. yes, yes. Big time, yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, we had a lot of fun times. And, of course, and that's, so, you know, another one. Because, again, the three biggest relationships in my life, work-wise, are still functioning. Brian, yourself, and this other person who's about to come into the picture, which is David Gilmour. Ah. Because this, yeah. this is how you met David, isn't it? And became, um, and got to to write a song on the Pink Floyd. That's right. It, it was it was the Brian Ferry record, yeah. But I, and there's, I do want to tell this story. Oh, sorry, because, because I was sorry, in the room. Go, go, go. Because, they, because Gilmore was playing on, played on Brian's album. Is that what? I'm about to tell the story. Ah. So we're at Air Studios, uh, and we just, Pat, you just got a track up, and I don't know if it was one of yours or one of the things that Chester and I've been messing around with, and you were sort of thinking out loud, and you went, oh, you know what would be great on this? One of those kind of Gilmore triple delay, triplet <laughs> delay things, that'll be fantastic. And Brian goes, oh, what, David, shall I get him down? And you went, what, what? And then suddenly Brian's <laughs> on the phone and goes, David, yeah, I thought, Pat, Thursday, is Thursday good? And you were literally just like, whoop, 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 whoop. And that's how it happened. Yeah, because I guess you were yeah. a Floyd head as well, if you were, if you were into Jungle oh, yeah. Giant. Oh yeah. yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! But so yeah, so David came. I mean, David played all over the album, didn't he? And um, yeah. you know, in that magnificent way, and he can. Yeah. But then, but then he, he was interested in you, wasn't he? So he invited you over to his place to try and mess yeah. about. Yeah, and we we went. Um, we had lunch at the house, and then went down to Astoria. Um, That's his boat. David's and beautiful houseboat David's, studio. David's on the boat. Yeah, subtle, and uh, <laughs> and. I, as I remember, there was just a couple keyboards and we started jamming and um, there was one of them had a repeat thing on it. And we we just got a chord progression going and played it and, and played it. And he David was playing fretless bass. Um, and, and we talked about this and that. Um, and he I, said there might have been a bottle of wine involved. I think there was a bottle of wine involved. <laughs> Would have been a, bottle, a very fine wine, I'm sure. Yeah, probably. Yes, I think, <laughs> I think there was. Um, and uh, and I think we watched races on the on the on the telly, and the thing then became well. Then what happened is, I was I was back in L.A., and David called and said, "I'm in town, and we're working on the the new album. Would you like to come in and listen to the roughs?" And I said, "Sure." So um, I went to his the house he was renting, and he's playing things, and the song comes on, and this was not early early days, but they weren't it wasn't finished yet. Um, it lacked some overdubs and, and what, what all. But the song goes by and it, and it finishes and he says, did you recognize that? And I said, no. And he goes, well, you wrote it. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, and, and this was this jam we did that day that, that he, uh, he 
finished off as yet another movie. And then from there, uh, he came to, to the house, the same house you worked at, Guy, mm-hmm. with, you know. Um, and uh, we did overdubs on that and some other songs on the record. And um, Okay, so let's move along. So, because then... Cause yeah, I, I, just wanna, then um, I just want to grab him for one thing, because I love... Oh, go on, go I on. love Boz Skaggs, right? And you work, oh, you work with Boz, Bob, Boz Skaggs. Yeah. I mean, how was that? I think the song I wrote with David Williams... Oh, you did. I, I don't. Oh. I, I don't remember, but I think David and I wrote that song, um, and that's how that happened. What was it? Was it Cool Running? Is that the name of the song? Uh, I don't it, know. it was on other roads, was it? Yeah, I think it's called Cool Running. If I remember correctly, I think it was kind of the demo that we did, and then they overdubbed to it. Um, but did you work with him directly? No. no. Oh, not yeah. No. Right, 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 right. No, so you're a jobbing no. writer as well. Well, I, I mean, those things happen occasionally. It wasn't. It wasn't really. I, I always tended to produce the things I wrote, but occasionally a song would get written and somebody would cover it. Um, it happened with when I first moved to LA, there was a Stephanie Mills record that I didn't produce. And, you know, there were songs, actually Hawk produced it and there were songs that I wrote. Guy, um, guy, should we be doing this chronologically or do we come off the back of David and go straight to Roger? And, and, and we can't, well, except we're missing out. Well, we've kind of sort of done like a prayer um, because it's, that's where, because I remember it, it was, you know, because then I, I came off the Floyd tour and came straight to LA to do the Like a Prayer album, which, you know, incredibly important album. I mean, that really was the Madonna growing up album. In fact, come on. <laughs> oh, come on. This is what he's been waiting for. I happen to have sitting here my red, cherry red Spectre NS2 bass, yeah, yeah, which yeah. I actually played on that song. Pat, in fact, I did lots of stuff. Pat, that, Pat's got a keyboard. It's to be plugged into an octave pedal. Anyway, there. Well, I should, I should have Pat, thought about this. because let me, let me get away with the maddest perf- bass performance on a pop record ever. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And I always tell people we were sneaking Weather Report by Madonna while we were doing it, basically. <laughs> 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 I still don't remember it happening. I t- it's the one song on the album I don't really remember recording. I don't, you know, I know it was just you I and wonder why. and Bill in the studio. <laughs> 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 yeah. I mean, didn't, doesn't... Uh, I, as I remember the chronology, it was like a prayer, toy matinee, amused to death. Yes. So, so between right, yeah. between like a prayer and Roger was toy matinee. And toy matinee yeah, was your band, right? You guys formed a band, which I think is a brilliant album. I have to say, I love that album. I mean, it is proggy, but it's proggy and commercial at the same time, and it fantastic musicianship on there. It's kind, yeah, it's kind of like, the funny thing is all our American. I, I'm guessing most of our American listeners will be going, oh yeah, yeah, Toy Matinee, yeah, yeah, love that. English people are going, what? 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 It, right. I mean, it's kind of it led to it gave birth to the whole Cheryl Crow phenomenon, but, but all came out of it, and it was it was an extraordinary thing. I, but I would say that's like it's our Velvet Underground record, in that you know yeah. 300 people bought it, but they all started bands. So what was the <laughs> Cheryl Crow connection, guy? <laughs> <laughs> what was the Cheryl-, Cheryl Crow connection was that Kevin Gilbert, who was sort of Pat's partner in crime on it, co-writer and singer, very, very brilliant, he, who uh, but then did a weird thing of t- in starting a band and taking it on tour afterwards. I, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't around for all the stuff that happened afterwards. But then he started going out with Cheryl Crow, didn't he? And then there was this yeah. Bill, Bill Bertrell, who'd produced the album, started this thing called Tuesday Night Music Club or Thursday, whatever, at a studio in Pasadena where people used to go and drink tequila and hang out and, and mess around. And one of them was Brian McLeod, who was the drummer in Toy Matinee. And from that, just all this material came out, which became Tuesday Night Music Club, the first Sheryl Crow album. Right. Brilliant. 
Wow. Yeah, so Anyone who hasn't heard Toy Matinee should go to find it and listen to it. Cause it's, was it your dream then, Pat, to suddenly think, well, now this is really what I want to do. I want to be an artist. I want to be in a proper touring band and make my own music. Or was this just a side project for you? Well, it was, it, it was, uh, I always describe it the same way. And I don't know that it's fair to anybody. I had done, I think at that point, four Madonna records in a row, um, kind of, because I did, uh, I mean, there was other records in there, but I had done True Blue and then Like a Prayer and then I'm Breathless and Who's That Girl? So there was sort of four things. And so uh, Mo Austin from Warner Brothers called me at home and said, um, you made Warner Brothers about a half a billion dollars last year. Is there anything you'd like? Would you like an office? Would you like, you know, what would you like? I said, I want to make a record and whatever I want to do. And he went, great. So it was sort of a cleansing for me. <laughs> it was heaven. Oh, I'd say yeah. it was, yeah, because uh, just, by this point, Pat has this studio, which is just amazing. Johnny Yoon yeah. Studios, most incredible. Yeah. And and we were and we just we had months, and Pat and I sort of went through musicians and and found that, and it was just months and uh, and it was yeah. just heaven. It was like yeah. I remember Tim Pierce, the legend guitarist, who was on it, just as like he remembers the writing sessions, and, and all he heard was just this laughter coming from the room the yeah. whole time. It was it, for me, it, it was it was heaven, and, and some yeah. of the work I'm absolutely proudest of in my whole yeah. career yeah. So. me too i feel the same way it was it was it was a real amazing thing and but it didn't um it wasn't what i it wasn't i didn't want to go on the road you know what i mean i i, mm -hmm. I was enjoying making records i just wanted Mate, if to, i had that studio i wouldn't want to go on the yeah. road. but this is a this is a a kind well okay a problem with session guys who suddenly form a band because unless it it hits it straight away you know, you've got other, the phone's ringing with a lot of money at yeah, that yeah. time, especially in the 80s. Session guys yeah. could get paid a fortune. Yeah. And, and you, yeah. know, you know, really, the only guys who ever form bands are poor guys who've got nothing else. Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. I don't know, but yeah, I don't know. Mike and the Mechanics might sort of slightly break that mold. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I know what you mean, the thing of, yeah. But, but it was, you know, but hey, it was a great thing and it was great work. But And yeah, yeah so the next thing uh is roger roger walters, roger walters. You, yes he, he, i mean it's a great album i think it's what it's one of his it, best it, it, it's, it's probably his best his best, album. his best album and of course and and no in fact and you actually asked me to play on it didn't you pat yes yes did you and, and no no, no I, I thought I, no, I asked david and david said yeah of course do it's yeah. fine and i thought you know what it really isn't fine and also it's like i like my attack you know i'd like being, yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. we, we all know the history of, of, of david and roger and you know what goes on yeah, between yeah. them did did you have a sort of feeling of i better call david if i'm going to do roger and i better just you know because i want to keep that relationship going as well i didn't i didn't really know david well enough at that point to to think of it one way or the other um but while I was while I was in London working with Roger, occasionally I'd go see David or go out and have drinks or go have a dinner or something, um, and uh, and I just remember that it was a little strange to then the next day come to work with Roger and Roger knew that you know last night and he just we didn't talk about any of this stuff wow. so you know it was a, it was some sometimes a little bit strange, but also you know obviously rarefied air you know what I mean like yeah yeah. But this is a dream now, working on a project where you can, you know, build soundscapes and, you know, have cinematic noises yeah. coming in. And yeah, well, yeah, yeah, you're going to the absolute source of that's all right. that. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And you've got no, Jeff Beck. 
Yeah. Uh, oh, Jeff's yeah. playing. Was, Jeff's was, playing on that album is incredible. Brought, who brought his A game? You know, yeah. And Jeff yeah. Beck's A game is the only game in town. Yeah. Oh, well, oh, Jeff off, was Jeff off. was a, such a marvel, and and, uh, and a delight. And the first day that Jeff came. We could see through the window of the studio. He pulled up in a jalopy, those cars that he built. Hot you know, rods. Oh, the hot rods, yeah. The hot rods. And he opens the trunk, and there's a cardboard box, and he rips it open, and he takes out a Fender, Jeff Beck Fender model, and he comes <laughs> in the studio with it, with a rat pedal in his pocket, and says, you got an amp, and we did. We had a twin reverb <laughs> the snooker oh. table. And he plugs in, and, and he kind of tunes up. And the thing just stayed there for, throughout the whole record. It was really all, all he used. And at the end of the day, occasionally, Roger would pick it up and strum something on it when Jeff was gone. And it was so out of tune. And he never tuned it. And it didn't matter because he just tunes while he's... It's like he... Yeah. I, I never saw anything like it. It's uh, really like... And, and you've got <laughs> to listen to, to his playing on that album if you haven't already. Because yeah. that... I mean, I'm not yeah. you guys. I'm to, to the yeah. listeners. Because it's just sublime. It's exquisite. It's the, it's, yeah. He's the greatest guitarist in the world, isn't he? I mean, yeah, that's right. That's and, I do you panic say. as a producer that you've got to capture this? Oh, my God, am I getting it right? Am I, am I, am I getting the right reverb around it? Compression? or? No, the, I mean, you know, first of all, we had um, um, tremendous people recording the record. So, um, you know, everything was, you didn't have to think about that at all. Like, like the the beginning of Amused to Death, the intro of Amused to Death, um, I'm playing a JP8000 or something, or G, one of the Roland ones, the one with the, the gray one with all the sliders on it, remember what the model is. And we just wanted some sort of an intro. So I just sort of meandered through some chords and Jeff played some stuff and it's the beginning of the record. I mean, there's no, we didn't write anything. We didn't do it again. We didn't, that was it, you know? Wow. Um, and so that's stuff that I will never forget doing because I'm playing chords and Jeff's kind of leading what the next chord should be. Um, again, rarefied air, uh, well, you know. Because you then worked with Jeff afterwards, didn't you? In fact, I did some recording with Jeff with you. Yes, we did. Yeah. We did what, what Jeff refers to as the greatest album we never made. Because <laughs> we were going to do this and we just kind of never got to it, you know. Um, but we recorded a track with you Um and uh, I was, was terrified. It, it was, was called so Nipples. Scared. You played great on it. You were great. <laughs> and it was called Nipples. I think that was the name of it. God. Um, <laughs> yeah. How did you feel when Madonna didn't call you for the next couple of albums and she went off with, you know, Nellie Hooper and, 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 and getting well, going in a different well, direction? Well, you used, but you used to get called back for the odd single, didn't you? For the big, you know, you did Frozen. Well, later, did, yeah, you yeah. did come back and do, yeah. you did that, you did that at Ray oh, of Light yes, album. Yeah, but, but was 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 that something that you chose to do, or that did she had, and did you feel kind of bad? About no, I didn't. I mean, honestly, I wasn't. And this sounds a little weird. I wasn't really that attached to it, you know. Um, I was still writing my. No, this all. I don't even know how this makes any sense. My interest in this is the writing. So when I get up in the morning and I write, and I come in here and I write and I write and I write. That's what you said at the beginning, just, Pat. You said that at the beginning. It's just me. Yeah. It's just me. So wh whoever's on the other end of it, 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 it all, it's only that I, it needs to be something that I like to do. Um, I think I would love to have what Madonna brought to things, the immediacy of it and the kind of just simplicity of getting it done that easily. Um, but aside from that, I'm, I'm just in search of the lost court. I mean, I'm just doing the same thing I've always done. I'm just looking for something I haven't done yet. Um, and so I never, re and I've always been that way. So I never really felt 
a personal. Uh, what is it? I never took any of it personal. Uh, how did you? Doing, how did you get on with? Um, is it Stephen Bray was was co-writing with on that album as well? Was that a relationship yeah. that you'd all have together, or was that a separate sessions for Madonna? Yeah, Steve, Stephen's a lovely guy, and we would we would share. You know, I'd play some stuff on on his, and he'd do some some stuff on my songs, and um, more on True Blue than on Like a Prayer. On Like a Prayer, it was pretty separate. You know. Yeah. Um, Express Yourself was him, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. That was done, yeah. 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 When JR came in and played it once, and we all went, that's great. You want to do it again? He went, nope, I got to go. <laughs> 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 like one take. Yeah. yeah. we got to talk about Leonard and Cohen, so, shouldn't we, really? We've got to talk about Leonard Cohen, obviously, yes. And, and how that was right. to work, work work with this. Right. Yeah, how did that come up, Pat? Well, I, I had uh, I produced a record. I, I had worked on a, a couple songs for Adam, his son's band. They were called Low Millions. And then Adam asked me if I would produce a solo record for him. Um, and I agreed to do it and did that record. And it was a very cool little record, very kind of simple, nice sounding, very nice sounding record. Um, and I forced live performances, you know, where he had to play and sing at the same time. Otherwise, we weren't doing it. And he, he didn't like that very much, but it made a great record, you know. Um, and uh, and then from that, his dad heard the record. And, you know, I don't know if he asked to meet me or if Adam suggested it or what. I don't really know. Um, but we had a, you know, a tuna sandwich, a little deli with Adam and Leonard one day just to talk about working. And then Leonard and I... I, th I think I moved a little gear over to his house, just very simple little something. And uh, and he handed me the lyric for the song, Show Me the Place, which was wow. from um, Old Ideas. Mm -hmm. And and I showed it to him and he put a vocal on it and it was just very quickly done. And then the next day he said, the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me is he said, do you think anybody ever asked the guy who wrote Amazing Grace if he has anything else? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, then then we just started writing songs. Um, and so what to say, I just want to stop you. So he would give you the lyric that day. He gave you the lyric. And you found yeah. the sort of rhythm in the words, the scansion. You found a piece yeah. of music that you felt went with it. And then did he just start singing over the top of your chords or? No, I would, I would write, I wrote the melody right. and, and the chords to the lyrics. Um, and on that one, I got lucky. Come Healing was like that. Going Home was like that. Just, they were very, very, um, I just let the lyric tell me what to do. And I did it really quickly. Um, and and only ever the one version and then as and then for uh popular problems it was the same thing he'd send me the lyric and i'd write something at home and i'd put a vocal on it and i'd send it back to him but um, had he done that before i mean didn't he just kind of come up with the whole thing himself before he it, did was this a new process I, for him I well i think he'd done he'd done co-writing um with mm. some people and i think it was a very similar thing um but the anecdotal things that that leonard said were you know so beautiful like when we started he said i grew up with 78 records and in 78 records there's someone in the front telling a story and then there's this stuff in the back you're going to be the stuff in the back <laughs> brilliant <laughs> which i love yeah you know because what's amazing listening you know what must be working with i mean you you've worked with so many great people but when then i was listening to um you want it darker and the thing with um that whole album is every single line 
is a bullseye. Like there's an ounce of yeah, there's not an ounce of fat on mm. it. You know, it's no, and the work Leonard's is, Leonard's work eth ethic, his method, his what he would do. Um, and I think it's okay to share these things. Uh, um, I, I don't think he would mind. Um, he had a room with shelves in it with little boxes and the box would have the song title on it, like office boxes, you know, those things with the little metal corners, yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And in the box would be a bunch of little notebooks about this big, just little notebooks. And as big as a protein bar, would, as big as a protein bar, right? Yeah. <laughs> about the size of a protein bar. For our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then use this. Um, so he would, uh, I'd get to the house and he'd be sitting in the front yard of the house in this little neighborhood he lived in, in a three-piece suit, which he it was always in a suit. And he would write, he'd have a book, a box out, and it would be for like, you know, one of the songs. And he'd work on it and then he'd put the thing back. And then every once in a while, he would take out one of these boxes and he'd take all the new verses and he'd put them in his computer. And sometimes this went on for a decade wow. until he felt wow. he had the verses. Wow. So um, Extraordinary. you want it darker? That song was called something else. I have pages full of those quatrains, full, five pages. Wow. And he just picks the ones that makes a song and he spends years on it. So he's kind of and making so, a patchwork quilt out of these different words that are coming in. And yep. And so, you know, there's that thing of hallelujah taking so long. It's like, they all took that long. I mean, that, that's not true. There's some things he would just put down and he was kind of done and he'd tweak it a little bit, but those kind of major works of his, he worked on for a long time and I never, I, I never saw anything like it. And I learned, a lot from it, but to actually practice it is a very difficult, the, the, the discipline is passed way beyond me to be able to say, no, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. Like the song Treaty, uh, the song that ends, um, You Want It Darker, um, <laughs> the version that's on there is the first version I did with him with a lyric change in it. I probably did, and this is the truth, I probably did no less than 30 versions of Treaty. <laughs> the same lyrics, same melody, but different takes on it. A country version, a blues version, a simple version, an orchestrated version, a string quartet version, like just to try to find it. And then one day Leonard said, I don't think it's a music. I think there's this, I got to find this word. And from the day I met him till You Want It Darker, he was still worked on finding that one line in Treaty. Um, and once he found it, we were done. And we were right with the first version I'd ever done. Because that was kind of the fresh one and the one that you know felt the best. Um, wow! We wish these these moments had been filmed and recorded because yeah, it's the making yeah. of this product that is is sometimes the most fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah. What what are you doing right now, Pat? And 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 I'm going to stick in another question as well, which is who's your who's the the person you'd like to work with that you haven't? Mm -mm. Yeah. Um, what I'm what I'm doing right now is just trying to get my studio set up. We we've just moved. Um, from the West Coast to the East Coast with a long stop in Michigan, where I'm from. Um, and so we're busy setting this up and trying to get everything working. And, you know, this is, looks nice, but it's a little bit of a mess. That's a big, that's um, a big bit move. Why, would, why did you decide to do that? Uh, I, I think just the change. And also I'm a Midwesterner and I need to fish and I need seasons. And, right. 
you know, like once once the work in L.A. wasn't once Leonard was gone, there was nothing to stay for. And and the question of people saying, who are you going to write with after Leonard? I said, I'm pretty sure Leonard's the last house on the block <laughs> in terms of collaborators. Like, what do you, you know, who now, <laughs> you know, when your yeah. your email dings and it's a Leonard Cohen lyric. That's pretty good. So, wow. yeah, who's better than that? In the middle of this and in search of the lost chord, you know, I have I work every day sometimes just improvisational. Sometimes I'll just make a modular patch and then my Steinway's sitting over here and I'll just play the piano over it. Just, and not looking for music, looking for long lines. Um, that makes any sense. You know, like I, I feel, I've always felt that things that, that have a long line, that have a complete line to them are what is the most beautiful. And so the improvisational stuff helps me experience the long line. If I can sit and do a 20 minute improv to some modular thing that's, you know, self, you know, generating all kinds of weird stuff and respond to it and react to it. It's good work. It's good exercise. You know, they're not. Pat, it's been a great pleasure talking to you. Yeah. Thanks, man. Really, real joy. Thank you so Thank much. You. Oh, my God. I mean, we're always loving to talk to you. Absolute, like, Christmas pudding of stories, wasn't it? I mean, <laughs> yeah. just, oh, uh, you guys are great, man. Endless beauties coming out. I mean, I'm, I'm really, really going to... I'm going to listen back to this one a few times, I think. Well, Guy, I, I felt that was a, sort of mostly about you. <laughs> oh, no, don't <laughs> Not say at that. All. It was really lovely because you had so much... You were there on the spot. And these incredible moments. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, in the room where it happened, it was not. But, oh, but having said that, that's why it's so good because you, you had really great um, sort of questions. Because of course, I don't. Uh, uh, for me, I just wanted to like, rem you know, just like a, a, a reminiscing lunch with, a, with an old mate. <laughs> but oh my yeah. word, what a bunch of stories we had there! Really, from, from, yeah. from so many great artists. You know, what do you say? You know, I got, I got Sean Penn over here. I got Quincy over here. I got Madonna here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, anyone who doesn't know any of that work, go and listen to it now. Um, especially the uh, Toy Matinee, which I know Guy is very proud of. And um, yes, indeed. But oh, no, but the Leonard, you know, to hear that Leonard Cohen, those Leonard, because those albums are beautiful. Uh, that's um, Old Ideas and uh, You Want It Darker. Yeah. And it was fantastic to hear those stories. Absolutely. We'll be back next week with uh, with someone else, someone special, yeah. someone huge uh, in rock. Um, until then, it's, it's, it's good night from me. And it's good night from all of us. Mm -hmm.